You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church, located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. Friends, let us join our hearts together again in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Hear these words for the church today. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our stories today in the Gospel of Luke are known as the parable of the lost sheep, or the parable of the good shepherd, and the parable of the lost coin. A parable is a simple story that asks us to think about very important matters. Our relationships with others, our place in the world, and how we can be better disciples. In the Christian tradition, people often understand parables as allegories. For example, many consider the sheep and the coin to represent repentant sinners, and the man who seeks the lost sheep or the woman who searched high and low for the coin are symbols for God. I've often interpreted them this way. But I want us to consider an additional understanding, that these stories are meant to tell us something about counting, about searching for what is missing, and celebrating becoming whole again. Feeling like we matter is important. Think about a time when you felt that you mattered. What happened? How did it make you feel? I am willing to bet that your moment of mattering made a difference to you. Most likely, you felt important because of something someone else said or did. 
Dr. Zach Mercurio is a psychologist and researcher who writes that feeling significant is a basic human desire and a critical factor for mental, emotional, and physical well-being in life, work, and school. Mattering, he says, is also dependent on others. In the same way that others help you feel like you matter, you, in turn, help others around you know that they matter. On his blog, Mercurio shares the story of a woman named Jane. Just one sentence changed her perception of herself and her job. For years, Jane had hopped around from one cleaning job to the next in what she described as a difficult life. After a family member she cared for passed away, she knew she had to get a more stable job to survive. And that led her to take a custodial job at the university where Dr. Mercurio teaches. When interviewing Jane for a study on what makes work meaningful, he asked her, why did you stay? Jane replied that in her first training on the job, a supervisor pulled out a dictionary and defined the word custodian for her as a person who has responsibility for or looks after something. Despite being told her whole life that cleaning was an unskilled and dirty job, she said, realizing that I was looking after these buildings and everyone in them changed my belief patterns and inspired me for the last 18 years. I finally realized that I mattered. Researchers find that mattering is a feeling that we are a significant part of the world around us. It's the belief that we are noticed, important, and needed right now. In 2018, health insurer Cigna surveyed 20,000 Americans and found that 47% of respondents reported feeling forgotten. I wonder how those results would read after the past two and a half years. Global surveys of workers find that 43% of employees feel invisible. In a study of over 66,000 students in grades 6 through 12, revealed that only half of these respondents think their teachers would care if they were absent. Just 46% of students said they felt valued at school. Feeling like you matter not only increases a sense of self-worth and motivation, research also finds it reduces the risk of severe depression, anxiety, and can save lives. Many years ago, a fifth grade teacher looked out at her class at the start of a new school year and saw rows of eager, excited faces. Well, all except for little Teddy, slumped in his seat with a sour expression on his face there in the front row. Mrs. Thompson had watched Teddy the year before and noticed that he didn't play well with other children. His clothes were often messy, and he always seemed to need a bath. And Teddy could be unpleasant. It got to the point where Mrs. Thompson actually took some delight in marking his papers with broad red X's over his wrong answers. At the end of the first quarter, Mrs. Thompson went back through and reviewed each child's records from their years before at the school. She put Teddy's off to last. When she finally came to his file, she was not prepared for what she read. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners. 
He is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he's troubled because his mother is very ill and life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, His mother's death has been hard on Teddy. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy's withdrawn and doesn't show much interest in school. He doesn't have many friends and sometimes sleeps in class. By now, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem. From then on, she paid particular attention to Teddy. She wanted him to know that he mattered to her, that he was important, and that he was just as capable as any other student in her class. He just needed a little extra help, a little extra love. Over the few months she worked with him, she saw Teddy's spirit come alive. The more she encouraged him, the better he responded. By the end of the school year, Teddy wasn't slouched in the front row any longer. He looked forward to being at school and opened up to his peers around him. Finally, someone had made Teddy feel important, like he mattered. Luke sets the scene. Once again, Jesus is in trouble for hanging out with the wrong people. As all the tax collectors and sinners come near to listen to Jesus, the Pharisees and scribes begin to grumble. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. In response, Jesus tells the scandalized religious insiders some parables. In the first, a shepherd leaves his flock of 99 to look after a single lamb that is lost. He searches until he finds it, and when he does, he carries that one lamb home on his shoulders invites his friends and neighbors over, and throws a party to celebrate. In the second parable, a woman loses one of her ten silver coins. Immediately, she lights a lamp and sweeps the entire house, looking carefully for the coin until she finds it. Then, like the shepherd, she calls together her friends and neighbors and asks them to celebrate the recovery of the coin. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. The shepherd counts the sheep. That's the only way he knows that one is missing. The woman counts the coins so that she's aware when one has been lost. The truth is that the lost lamb in the first parable belongs to the shepherd's flock from the very beginning. It is his lamb. In the same way, the coin in the second parable belongs to the woman before she loses it. The coin is one of her very own. These parables are not about lost outsiders finding salvation and becoming Christians. These parables are about us, the insiders. These are about lostness on the inside. It happens to God's people. We get lost over and over again, and God finds us over and over again. What does it mean to be lost? It means we lose our sense of belonging We lose our capacity to trust. We lose our experience of God's presence. We lose our sense of self-worth and our will to persevere. Some of us get lost when illness descends on our lives and we feel like God doesn't care. Some of us get lost when death comes too soon and too suddenly for someone we love and we experience a crisis of faith. Some of us get lost when our marriages die, 
Some of us get lost when our children break our hearts. Some of us get lost in the throes of addiction or anxiety or bitterness or hatred. Some of us get lost very close to home, within the very walls of the church. We get so miserably lost that the shepherd has to wander through the craggy wilderness to find us. We get so completely lost that the housewife has to light her lamp, pick up her broom, and sweep every corner in her house in order to find what's become of us. Maybe it's not surprising to you that we get lost, but what should be surprising to us is what these stories tell us of the nature of God. God is the searcher, the seeker, the determined finder. God's not snug in the fold with the 99 insiders. God's not curled up on her couch polishing the nine coins she is sure of. God is where the lost things are. God is in the darkness in the wilderness. God is in the remotest corners of the house. God is with the forgotten, the overworked and underpaid, the asylum seeker, the man working his 12 steps, the woman stuck in her depression, and the children who don't feel like anyone would notice if they didn't show up to school. And all this means that if we want to find God, we have to seek the lost. We have to get lost. This isn't easy. For one thing, it's hard for us to believe that we're worth looking for, that we matter, that we're loved enough to warrant a long, hard, diligent search, and then that God will feel so much joy at our recovery that God will tell the world the good news and throw us all a party. But this is exactly what Jesus says is true. He shares these stories with folks who can't even reconcile their faith with Jesus' bewildering claim that lostness has its virtues. In her book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor argues that lostness makes us stronger at the edges and softer at the center. It teaches us about vulnerability, about empathy, about humility, and about patience. Lostness shows us who we really are, and it shows us who God really is. Donald McCullough writes, Grace tells us that we are accepted just as we are. We may not be the kind of people we want to be. We may be a long way from our goals. We may have more failures than achievement, but we are nonetheless accepted by God, held in God's hands. Such is the promise to us in Jesus Christ. It's a promise we can trust. Rejoice with me, Jesus says, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I have found my coin I have lost. Thanks be to God for this good news. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus. Jesus.